your hour of drive time begins now with your host, Jay Mamie, on the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Good day, everyone, and welcome once again to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. This is Jay Mamie, and you have now entered your hour of drive time. I want you to know that today's show is going to be spectacular. So if you are visiting us for the very first time, thank you for spending your time with us today. I think you're going to find that this is a valuable program worth your investment of future time and energy because the content is going to be yet phenomenal as they have been for the last three and a half years. Today's show is going to feature a legend. Nick Lowry is not only a NFL legendary kicker, but he's also an NFL record holder, a seven-time All-Pro, Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame member, but he's also a speaker, a business owner, an entrepreneur. He's a poet, and he's got a heart for the people. He's always had a heart for the people. He's a philanthropic individual who cares for the progress of others, and that is so indicated when you find that he's a founder of Champions for the Homeless, a wonderful organization that helps those oftentimes throughout the course of the year, who are are struggling. Nick Lowry is going to be with us today, and we're going to have a great time diving into his history, his story, the mindset, what makes him tick, what inspires him, and all the wonderful stories that are always behind the scenes that you only get a chance to hear from these legendary individuals when they're on shows like this. So Nick Lowry is going to be on our program. We'll bring him up right after the break. But I want those of you that are visiting that if you have arrived here for the first time, not to fret. You can go back and listen to all of our prior episodes by logging into thejmamietalkshow.com. You could also find us at csuiteradio.com. Make sure that you carve out the time to binge here. We've got three and a half years worth of phenomenal content that you're going to find yourself being addicted to because the content is that good. And by the way, make sure that you stay connected with me. My social media platforms are at the J Mamie for my Instagram. For Twitter is the same. The Facebook page is the J Mamie. And of course, you could always track me down on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with many of you on there as well. Before I go to break, though, I want to make sure that everyone recognizes our corporate sponsor and why I have chosen them to be the recurring corporate sponsor. Student Optimum Services has helped people with student loan forgiveness for the last 10 years, and they've done a phenomenal job. Even with those that I've had an opportunity to recommend them to, they've been stellar. Why is that important, my friends? Because if you live here in the U.S., you know that coming up shortly, there will be an onslaught of brand new student loan payments having to be made again as a result of COVID, the COVID pause that many student loan borrowers were experiencing for three, three and a half years. Now that is over. This brand new, I'm not going to say brand new, but because it's not a brand new, but for many people, it is a brand new payment for them. For many, it's a, it's a reinstating of an old payment that's going to create financial chaos in their budget, in their household economics, because many have gotten used to not paying their student loans over the last three and a half years and factoring in inflation, uh, the fears of recession, employment uh, instability. There is legitimate reason for you to be concerned if you have a student loan payment that is about to begin. 
the federal government is already working on uh, what I would call aggressive collection action for those who are not uh, who are not going to pay. So the outlook can be very concerning. That's why Student Optimum Services, I recommend them. Reach out to them. Get a free consultation. If you qualify, this could be a lifesaver and a tremendous peace of mind because of the burden that could be lifted uh, financially for you can make the difference. Go to studentoptimumservices.com forward slash jmami, J-A-Y-M-A-Y-M-I. It's a free consultation as a result. Find out if you qualify and I hope that it does help you relieve some financial stress so you can live a thriving life. Folks, we're coming back after the break with Nick Lowry. Stay tuned. Are your emotions leading your responses to situations or are you living a life where all your capabilities are in balance? This is Randy Bowles, the Coherence Warrior. With disciplined behavior of less than 10 minutes a day, I live more efficiently and effectively with inspired actions. Let me help you learn how to use your heart's intuition to guide your brain to lead your mental, physical, and spiritual capabilities to higher levels for longer periods of time. Visit CoherenceWarrior.com and I look forward to serving you. Hi, this is Jay Mamey. As a lifelong fitness enthusiast and professional bodybuilder, I know the importance of removing impurities and flushing out toxins to maintain a healthy colon and intestinal system. This is why I take and recommend Renew from First Fitness Nutrition. It also has helped me replenish my probiotics, which is necessary for a healthy gut. Learn more at healthyfriends.firstfitness.com. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. About to have a fantastic conversation with the one and only Nick Lowry. I gave all the kudos ahead of time, but I just want to let you guys know that it's such an honor to have Nick here. Many of you who may not know uh, his story really need to be aware of the fact that not only is Nick just a, a standout individual with regards to his stats, his career, what he's done. Let me just refresh your memory on that. Uh, but Nick was inducted into the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame back in 2009, the most accurate kicker in NFL history, the Chiefs' all-time leading scorer with the most field goals in NFL history when he retired. I remember watching him when I was, when I was back in New York and he played for the Jets. Uh, and he was, uh, he was just an awesome guy. He went through the same thing there uh, in Kansas City. Uh, but not only is his football career stellar and legendary, but he's a humanitarian. And we're going to spend some time talking about that. And, and, but he's also a recognized motivational speaker. He's a leadership trainer. He's won numerous uh, humanitarian awards, five-time NFL Man of the Year when he was with the Chiefs and the Jets. He's also the founder of Champions for the Homeless, 17 years now in the running. And he's going to share a little bit about that and those annual events that impact the lives of the homeless. And he's soon to be the author of the NFL Guide to Kicking Ash. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what that book is all about. Right. That's so, Nick Lauer, welcome to the Jamie Talk Show. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, I've often wondered what I'd look like if I shaved my head the way you do. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to still have hair at my ripe old age. <laughs> hey, listen, man, all it takes is a razor and maintenance. <laughs> How often do you have to, to shave it? 
Oh, brother, I, I got to shave it. Well, if I want to keep it clean, uh, every two days, two to three days, mm -hmm. I got to keep it clean. If I get a little fuzzy after like four or five days, I, I, the, the peach fuzz yeah. is not attractive, yeah. Nick. It's not yeah. attractive. <laughs> no. So let me ask you this. I, I, I want to dive with the book, right? Uh, the NFL Guide to Kicking Ass, right? Here's what I want to find out from you as we launch into this ridiculous next 30 minutes of an interview, right? What can you uh, say to the to the point that there are some, some disciplines, some habits, some mindset, right? And some really some some attitude that you picked up that you must have in the NFL that now you realize you have that, you have to have that, you carry it over in the business world. What were some of those traits and disciplines that carry over really well? Well, first of all, one of my two biggest mentors, actually two of my three biggest mentors, uh, were very clear about the greatest gift that we can give ourselves is to put ourselves in position to make as many mistakes as we can, to learn how not to do something faster so we can get to the good stuff. And I was rejected 11 times by eight teams. So the lessons then become very important because you don't wanna put yourself through pain like a masochist, you want to learn to get better. And the great thing about being a kicker in the NFL is it's absolutely, um, to me, emblematic of the antithesis of a lot of our culture today. By that, I mean that a kicker is held accountable in a very transparent way. You're in front of what I call you're naked and alone in front of 80,000 people. Mm. Running on the field, you got 11 guys paid millions. The average NFL salary is over $4 million now. And some of these guys are being paid $15, $20, and $25 million. Of course, Patrick Mahomes and his group are over $40 million. Um, they're motivated to make you fail. And they're shouting very sweet messages to you. And you got 80,000 people if you're in Oakland or now it's Las Vegas, if you're in Buffalo, if you're in New York. Uh, wherever it is, uh, you're going to you're going to hear a lot of not very nice things. Mm -hmm. So on top of that, you either make it or you don't. There's there's no in between. Hitting the upright does not count. You don't get a good service or a participation trophy, if you will, for hitting the upright. Uh, you just know that you have to make it. And if you don't, you have to serve, if you will, the consequences or receive them. And mm -hmm. so you learn very quickly to make no excuses, to just learn and get better. And in those two years, I was being cut by the Jets, the Patriots, uh, Tampa Bay, or just being rejected, going to try out and just saying thanks, but no thanks. The Jets twice, by the way, uh, the Baltimore Colts, they, they looked at me twice. Um, the, the Redskins twice, I played two preseason games for them. Um, and all those other rejections. By the way, what's great is when you recognize that, you give yourself a chance to be in the driver's seat and you've, your car, if you will, your career, your ambition, your life car has some dents in it, but mm -hmm. it polishes itself up as you grow and you get to notice yourself getting better. And then you get it, the wonderful, satisfying thing of coming back to Washington three years later. Uh, as the kicker for the Chiefs and kicking the longest field goal still 40 years later, the longest field goal in the history of the National Football League in the first quarter. 
and always for perpetuity, the longest field goal ever kicked at RFK Stadium wow. uh, against your home team where I grew up, Washington, D.C., the Redskins. So I, I wouldn't call it revenge, but it's a satisfying feeling that all of those rejections were worth it. So mm. a long answer to your question is you learn that that office on the field from the eight yards in front of you where the ball snapped and that offensive line that's there to protect you, hopefully, to the holder, and then you're four yards back approaching the ball, uh, that area, so it's basically 12 yards by, let's say, four yards. That's your office. Mm. Everything that you control there is the only thing you can control. That's it. You can't control the holder, actually. You can't control the snap, but controlling this so you might even make it circumscribed to just those four yards of that approach to where you kick it and how you manage your head, your heart, your soul, your mindset is everything. But mm. that's important because now you're no longer worrying about the weather, the referees, the guys saying mean things about your mom. You're taking responsibility for that one thing you can control. That's it in life. So you can transfer that sense of that office, that circle around you of trust, of confidence to everything you do in life. Because today, the antithesis is in this culture where people get participation trophies just for showing up. They missed, you know, let's say two thirds of the practices. Uh, they didn't work to get better. Uh, they didn't want to be criticized ever because heaven forbid, uh, they realize that they're not where they need to be. And that's going to take work and dedication. And also, they may not be gifted in that area, which doesn't mean they won't be a beautiful God-given gift and talent elsewhere. And mm -hmm. so to me, what I love about those lessons as a kicker is they, they make me look at what I call closed loop accountability. Every system as an individual in your own personal growth to be something special and every company, every organization, if you don't have a level of closed loop uh, accountability where you know who's making the decisions, you know who did what, and those people own their own stuff too. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a technical term. They own their own shit. Sorry, but uh, that's all right. And that's part of it. Owning your stuff is so important because if you can get over that monumental place of feeling horrible about all your mistakes and all of your letting people down, letting yourself down, um, there's nothing more <laughs> horrible than looking up in front of 80,000 people at Arrowhead Stadium, let's say 25 million watching on Monday Night Football, 25 million people mm -hmm. and missing a field goal. I didn't miss hardly any uh, that I remember actually on Monday night or, and I feel very good about that. But uh, when you do, it's horrible. What do you do with that? What do you do with the pain? Do you use the pain to motivate you to say, I'm not gonna feel this again? And also, how do you motivate yourself? Is it just about you or you're saying, I'm on this field, I'm in this lifetime field of purpose to help others so that they find their own unique gifts. They find what is God's given purpose for them. That's where the satisfaction is for me. But it does start with that difficult gambit, that, that uh, risk to that bet on yourself that you can handle it by absorbing all of the mistakes you've made, the people that you've betrayed, the uh, expectations that you've let yourself down and others down, 
and say, I own all of it. There could have been other excuses, but it doesn't do any good to go in that direction because it takes our power away. Mm -hmm. Also true for, by the way, for uh, relationships, right? How many people going through divorce say this person does this and they're still doing this and and, and you just want to say, guess what? That's not in your office. You're in mm -hmm. control now and uh, you can polish your car. As you're driving it, your car will literally change from a Fiat, um, you know, or, or some, shall we say, uh, non actually Fiat's can be good cars too. But mm -hmm. let's just say from a, a, a 1987 uh, Pinto to a uh, 2023 BMW X6 mm -hmm. uh, or whatever it is, uh, whatever you like as a car that actually can evolve as you're sitting in your own driver's seat. So that's the most important thing. Take that personal office and apply it to everything in your life and make sure that it's a passion you have. Don't waste your time putting yourself through pain for nothing. Make it something that you love and that also makes a contribution. That's the other side of the circle. You've got the office and then the circle, which is a circle of helping others learn the same lessons, find their own beauty and treasure in life. That's awesome. You know, there were so many knowledge bombs you dropped that I can go on for another two hours, picking each of them apart. But as you were speaking, I kept thinking about pressure, right? And we, at some degree, we all experienced pressure. But yep. I often talk about barricading yourself from the elements of pressure. I, I, I want you to speak on that because all I kept thinking about is here's a Nick walking up and down the sidelines. The game, he, he, he knows the game is going to be uh, called by a field goal. Right. You just know that most kickers know that. Right. What's the pressure like on the sidelines when you know you've got the crowd, you are in enemy territory. Right. Uh, there's probably people spraying, uh, praying and, and throwing garlic. The people betting literally betting thousands of dollars that you're going to fail. Exactly. So and people so, betting for you. Yeah. But knowing that the pressure is on you, especially if it's yeah. a playoff game or. How do you deal with that pressure? How did you deal with it? And how can people copy those, those remedies in real life when they're dealing with real pressure? Well, I, I would say, uh, Jay, that um, one of the, the blessings of my life was that I, got, I had a great uh, teacher in high school in drama named Ted Walsh. And he made me think, you know, that's pretty cool, the creativity and expression of theater. And so my first two years at Dartmouth College, I was a theater major. and um, we are all actors and Shakespeare, of course, has mm -hmm. many lines about that mm -hmm. actors on right. our own stage, but stage, yeah. um, preparation is to play the role of the victor of the hero. And that starts with expecting that pressure, expecting it to come down to you. You have no excuse getting back to the no excuses. You have no excuse to not be ready if it comes down to you. You got to be ready for that. So how do you do that? You play the role 5, 10, 15, 100 times, and you learn to give yourself what I call healthy pressure, mm. uh, not neurotic pressure. Neurotic pressure is that it's never going to be good enough, and it's it's never going to end. Healthy pressure is, oh, I got to get it done, and I'm going to practice it and practice it so that it becomes in your DNA. It's grown into your emotional DNA, your attitudinal DNA, that you've got to be ready for those situations. By the way, I didn't make all my field goals. I made four out of five. The old record was about 70% when I came into the league. 
and I took it up 10, almost 10%. I actually finished after the age of 34 in the 90s at, at 87% in 9091, 92. I had 24 in a row, 21 in a row. Wow. 22 for 24. I don't think yeah. any kickers had a better no. um three years than that, including Justin Tucker. He's he's the he's the best. He's the best ever. But the ball is a little bit easier to kick now. The fields, there were four uh, or five domed stadiums. Now there are about 18 that are functionally domed stadiums. Mm-hmm. And and all the players now, the, the kickers are kicking out of essentially the middle of the fairway. They're not kicking out of uh, like Roy Girella used to do in a poor guy in, in um, the grass field in Pittsburgh before they put in turf where there were huge chunks. Right, right, right. <laughs> huge chunks, huge chunks like this big of grass and turf that they had to somehow find a place to plant hard and get the ball up. So anyway, so you act as if you look at and visualize not only intellectually, but you say, how am I going to feel? That's why affirmations, Jay, are so important. I am confident. I'm going to be confident. I'm confident. I'm expecting. And it's not that every game you're going to feel the same. Every game I felt a little bit different. Every game was unique. But by being that way, you could overcome the negative voices. So for those of you listening and watching, wow, the most important conversation we have in our lives is with ourselves and with God. If you believe in God, trust me, it helps to have that conversation. And so if you manage that, I remember running onto the field a couple of times, more, more than a couple of times. Saying to myself, "Oh my God, this is the scariest thing ever. What am I doing? What? Why did I choose this?" But because I'd rehearsed hundreds of times, I could override that voice with discipline. Stay disciplined. Focus on the ball. That's it. So by the end of my career, I literally had two words uh, before I kicked the, as I was approaching the ball: left and explode. And that was, I'm approaching the ball, left foot was going to point right at the target and then explode, which is my permission to attack the ball. Our brains don't know how to do things halfway. Very Mm. hard when you are self-conscious, you lose the deafness, what's called kinesthetics, the soft touch. Greatest athlete maybe in history for that, Steph Curry. I mean, the guy has touch from 60 feet away. I've, no one's ever seen anything like it, right? That only happens when you are totally at peace in your DNA and you trust and you attack the ball, you shoot it. Now, that doesn't mean you're throwing it hard. You allow your brain's billions of synapses to work the way they've learned to work. If you're self-conscious, your brain will go to a fight or flight mechanism, which goes to the large muscle groups, and now you've lost your subtlety. You've lost that ability. The same uh, uh, applies for a pitcher. You try to muscle the ball, you'll lose 10 miles an hour on your fastball. You try to hit the ball harder in tennis. You see guys that weigh 110 pounds who can hit 120 mile an hour serve and guys that weigh 300 that bench press 600 pounds that can't hit a 70 mile an hour serve. Why is that? Because they don't have that fluidity, that suppleness. Tom Brady getting older. Why did he continue to do well at 45 and win a Super Bowl at 44, I think it was? Because because he worked on suppleness and because he trusted himself. So that rehearsing as the actor is so important because you begin to then say, okay, I'm aiming here and I'm going for it. Or for me, it was left foot at the target, 
and explode, which was just let it go. Don't try to kill it, but attack it. And so attacking life, the, the Frank Gans, our uh, head coach for a couple of years, greatest special teams coach in history, uh, used to quote fortune. And they, they, it's actually a French quote to audace, audace, toujours audace, which means, well, we've translated fortune favors the bold, but audacity, audacity, always be bold because that taps into the hero in us. That and then and that actually taps in. I'm getting emotional now. That taps into the God in us. Mm-hmm. That taps into the God-given instinct in us that is bigger than us. Mm-hmm. And yet it's also our core gift. And that's where the great achievements and performances always happen. Folks, we'll be right back after the break. I'm David Kazarian, president of Student Optimum Services and a licensed debt arbitrator. We have one mission in mind, to cut down the $1.7 trillion in federal student loan debt by as much as possible and help hardworking Americans just like you achieve financial freedom. Our process is not a settlement or a refinance. We are not a bank or a lender. We are on your side, and we go up against these lenders to get you on track for student loan forgiveness by utilizing programs offered by the Department of Education. These programs are available to you regardless of the school you attended, your employment status, or employment field. Over the past 13 years, we've helped thousands of borrowers save millions of dollars on their student loans. Student loan payments are resuming September of 2023, after being on hold for over three and a half years. So the time to take action is now. You have nothing to lose but your student loans. Visit www.studentoptimumservices.com slash to schedule a free consultation today. Are your sales lagging? Are you frustrated with your ability to effectively communicate the goodness of your product or service? Could your income greatly benefit from you getting better at selling? Hi, this is Jay Mamie, the host of the Jay Mamie Talk Show and the curator of the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. I want you to know that there are answers on how you can get better at the skill of selling. Go to my course, the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. Get the answers you need so you can experience the results you want. Thrive Sales Mastery. Have you been hurt in a trademark accident? Has a patent injured you? The awesome lawyers at Rosenthal IP Law can help. Kidding aside, your business could be hurt if a competitor uses a name or logo that is too close to the name of your business. Imagine losing sales to that competitor when a potential customer finds them instead of you. Or even worse, if a competitor wants you to stop using your name and change it. Your investment in marketing and manufacturing and the goodwill you've built with your customers could be lost if you are forced to rebrand or retool. Rosenthal IP Law has the experience and know-how to protect and strengthen your brand and trademark in the U.S. and internationally. If you are interested in learning more, contact me, Larry Rosenthal, founder of Rosenthal IP Law, on our website at rosenthal.law. No.com, just rosenthal.law. R-O-S-E-N-T-H-A-L dot law. Please note that this is not legal advice. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. You know, Nick, everything you said is so amazing. And, and one of the things I wanted to ask you, what that's closely tied to that, with a lot of that has to do with calling, right? It has a lot to do with calling. And if, if you've got a calling that you recognize, uh, you're not so quick to throw in the towel or quiver 
or cower in the corner because you know that you know I'm called to do this um, and I'm not, I'm not giving up, I'm not letting it go, I'm not letting it get away. Which brings me to my next question. I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that you had, I think you said you were turned down or rejected eight times prior. 11 times by 18. 11 times by 18. So, I mean, at, at a certain point, you must have had self-doubt creep in, brother. I, at some point, something must have happened when you said, you know what, eight teams, 11 times. Yeah. Maybe I'm not supposed to do this. You're an entrepreneur. You could, you've got an entrepreneurial spirit. You could have gone in that route. You're humanitarian. You could have gone in that route. What kept you in the fight? Well, I think, uh, and this is uh, this is being humble, I hope, and honest. I had great parents. I didn't have a father that pushed me. I had to be self-motivated. My father and my parents had expectations, but they didn't beat me over the head with it. So I had continuity, structure, support without too much of that. So that's the first thing. I also was open to mentors. I noticed people and they noticed me apparently that I would be a good mentee. I would be a good student. And so they brought out great things. Dick Johnson, I'll never forget. Um, he was, when I walked on the field, he wanted to coach me in kicking at St. Albans School under the shadow of the cathedral in Washington, DC, just north of Georgetown. And uh, I walked up to him for my first coaching session. And he said, did you thank her? I said, what did you thank her? Did you thank your mom for giving you a ride down? <laughs> I mean, he immediately mm, broke up wow. uh, those assumptions like, well, you know, there's somebody there that's enabling me to be here that, that puts me in a position to learn and get better. So there's a big lesson right there. And then it was oh, always yeah. about how important the mental side was, always important about visualization, always important about learning to relax your whole body so that you're in that other state. Uh, and so mentors were really important. And so then being cut, because the kicking game is so unique, when you come from college back then, you had a tee. I, I went to a one-inch tee my senior year, but um, there's a transition to that level of pressure. And in college back then, it was a 24-foot wide target. Now it's an 18-foot wide target. Now you're kicking off the ground. So it's like mm -hmm. a, a golfer who's suddenly learning to hit the ball, um, you know, instead of off a tee off, you know, at the beginning of a mm -hmm. hole he's suddenly having to hit off the ground so your stroke is different you're not you're hitting more as a kicker like a wedge to get the ball up because you've got 20 feet away because they make some penetration about 20 feet away you know six seven guys right in the middle that that are six feet six five six eight with 30 to 40 inch verticals you got to get the ball up almost 11 and a half feet in 20 feet so it's not just being accurate it's getting the ball up so all those things come into play and i realized it would take time for that and so after being cut by the jets the first time i cried but i also uh blew it frankly against uh san diego i was i had a chance to beat up pat Leahy, and uh, we're kicking mm. off the infield i just blew two field goals i thought well that's it then after a couple of days i'm like you know I'm just getting used to this. So I went back out and a month later, I'm kicking in two games for the New England Patriots. First game on national TV uh, against the Oakland Raiders. And I noticed then I wasn't quite ready yet. I was nervous, uh, you know, mentally not as tough as I needed to be. So those same thing happened. A couple of days of sadness and frustration. They didn't give me another couple of weeks. And then I thought, I'm the only one who can define what's inside me, who can find and can define what's inside me. And so the next year, Jay, 
which is 1979. There was air back then. There was football for the, all of those that think the only thing that happened was two years ago. Uh, I uh, noticed I was out kicking all the guys in the tryouts before that I was not necessarily that much better than. Now I was clearly out kicking them. Now it was a matter of time. It was a matter of the right situation. So I was out kicking. By that second year, the, the Redskins brought me in. I kicked a couple of field goals. I missed an extra point. I was running out under the dugout in RFK Stadium because the extra points, you know, you have to get the ball up. And I'd never missed an extra point before. And I'm looking at these two guys wearing Redskins jerseys, leaning over the dugout because you had to go under the dugout up to the locker room in RFK Stadium, which was mm -hmm. a converted baseball stadium. And they're smiling at me. So I smiled back and they go, Larry, you suck. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, what a wonderful world we're in. Uh, but but what happened was teams started to call me and now I'm getting flown into New Orleans and San Diego and I'm out kicking finally with the Jets. And I've been with the Jets at the beginning of the 78 season and Walt Michaels was still the coach there and I outkicked everybody by just wasn't even close. And this knucklehead uh, said, well, we had you a year and a half ago, so we're going to go with Carson Long. Anybody here of Carson Long? Carson, I'm sure, is a great person. Mm -hmm. Much respect for him as a human being, but he never did anything after that season. Nick Lowry played 18 years, was the most accurate kicker in NFL history, had the most 50-yard field goals in NFL history when he retired, mm -hmm. had, the, had the best percentage of extra points in NFL history when he retired, uh, still the, the most points uh, in Chiefs history, Chiefs Hall of Fame. None of that would have happened if I'd given up. That's correct. Back to the thing about learning and getting better, learning and get better. Everything's a chapter, a page, a chapter, but the book has many chapters. And, you know, I just kept saying, I've got to get used to this. And the irony of it is, Jay, that at the end of that year, Walt Michael said no. And I was about to give up. I took a job in the Senate working for Senator Bob Packwood, a permanent job on the Senate Commerce Committee, a great job working on aviation deregulation and aviation safety. I took that job and then suddenly I get a call from Jim Shop. This is really a, a great story. So when you wanna bring me in to speak, this is, this is so cool because I told this guy, Jim Shop, who said he was the general manager for the Chiefs. He found my home number and and I already had uh, an offer from the Baltimore Colts. They were then the Baltimore Colts and uh, the uh, Cleveland Browns, who were then the Cleveland Browns. Um, and uh, I just wasn't going to play anymore. It was time to get a great job. And this was a great job. I was going to go to law school in a year and, and work in the Senate. And who knows what would have happened. But right. I told this guy, thanks, but I, I just, I've got another job and maybe another time. And thank you. And I hung up. And here's the thing, that inner conversation we talk about, I just mentioned right. before, mm -hmm. I hung up and went, oh, ugh, what, did, what did they have to offer? And so I had a mentor, Dick Johnson. I called him and said, what's bothering me? He said, you didn't find out what they had to offer. You'll, you'll always wonder. So I'm, now I got to find the guy. Now think how close this was to me never playing in the mm. NFL in any legitimate way. And I just guess I just guessed his name was James Schaff, S-C-H-A-A-F. I'm not sure how many people would have known to spell it that way. Called information. There's no internet, right? So I had to call Kansas City information. There were two James Shoffs. He wasn't at the first one. Called the second. He wasn't there. I said, is there a hospital? Because he told me he had back surgery. There's a hospital there. Uh, nope, he's not there. I said, what if he had back surgery? And 
An hour after a stranger named Jim Schaff called me, I find him alone in his hospital room, in his hospital bed, and that blew him away. We wow. talked for an hour. They fly me out a few days later, and uh, they give me a $2,500 bonus, and they tell me that Marv Levy, who goes on to be a Hall of Fame coach, not with the Chiefs, because he had mm -hmm. to learn and get better, too. He was fired by the Chiefs after four years, but he becomes a Hall of Fame coach with Buffalo. And at that point, I just knew that I owed it to myself to try one more time. And they said they'd bring me in in May, not in late July. So I had almost three months more to get used to it. Oh, but wait, one more thing. You'll happen to be competing against the greatest kicker in the history of the game at that point, who would go on to be the first kicker in the Hall of Fame, Jan Stenerud. Oh, wow. I somehow knew I had paid the price. Another great thing about not giving up is, you know, when you've paid the price and you just don't care anymore who mm -hmm. you're going to outdo. It's kind of like Muhammad Ali against Sonny Liston or whoever it is. You don't care anymore. You still respect them, but you're like, no, it's my time. It's my turn. Mm -hmm. And um, I trained May and June and July, came out to training camp and a guy named Clark Hunt, <clears throat> now, now their owner, who was the son, the 16 year old son of Lamar Hunt, one of the great names in NFL history, whose name is on the AFC Championship trophy today. And Clark charted me against Jan Stenard every day. It averaged 107 degrees at, in wow. the, at uh, William Jewell College and uh, two practices a day, two three-hour practices a day. And they charted get off time, how quickly you, you kick the ball off. They wanted it under 1.3 seconds. Um, and then, of course, whether you made it or not, and Clark was the one to tell his father, dad, I think, I mean, Jan Stenner would go on to play six more seasons. So it wasn't like I was competing against a guy who was going to retire the next year. But mm -hmm. Clark Hunt told his dad, I think Nick Lowry is going to beat out Jan Stenner. And then it, then it took, look at all the different tumblers that had to fall because Marv Levy had to have the guts to cut a future Hall of Famer to try me out. And he didn't cut him after the fourth and final preseason game. He cut him after the third preseason game. So I had a game to get used to being the Chiefs kicker. And in my first field goals, by the way, my first preseason game, it was the last preseason game that year, Joe Montana, we were playing Joe Montana and the young Joe Montana uh, against San Francisco in Tucson. It was a weird place to have a game. But uh, my first field goals in the NFL had to prove myself, who is this guy? I made sure not to watch TV, not to look at the paper. Mm -hmm. That, that mm -hmm. was a great decision. Not uh, being interviewed. Hey, why do you think you can make it? You know, who are you? And which is a fair question. Who was I? But I went out and um, my first field goals in the NFL, a 50 yarder, very first field goal made. Wow. It. I just, once again, I just let it go, just attacked it. 23 yarder, almost missed that. I'm like, don't screw it up, miss this one. Mm -hmm. 23 yarder. Now the fourth quarter against Seattle in, in Arrowhead. Uh, we're almost just past midfield and we're down um, 17 to 13 and uh, I've kicked two field goals and I tap Marv Levy on the shoulder and say, coach, I can make this. Well, this is going to be a 57 yard field goal, which would have shattered the, the team record would have been the third longest field goal in NFL history. And Marv, um, who's one of the nicest guys ever just turned 98, love him to death, but he was a little crazy on the sidelines. He was like, what? Ah, <laughs> field goal. So I'm running out there and Efren Herrera, the, the kicker on the other side for Seattle is going, what are you standing at midfield? What are you doing out here? And I'm just on a mission. And uh, my, my holder, who was our former number one pick, our quarterback, Steve Fuller, 
put the ball down and I crushed a 57 yarder that hit halfway up the net. Wow. And, uh, and unfortunately uh, I had a chance to kick a 64 yarder with three, four minutes left. And Marv wouldn't let me try it, which is too bad. But, uh, but that was the first time in NFL history that a kicker had had two yarders in one game. And that was my way of saying I belong. And then mm. what happens there? There are two types of, I'm very talkative today, but I, I want you to get this in. There are two types of success. There are many types of success, but the two main ones are the Hollywood story, rags to riches, rejection, underdog, making it. But the second is just as important or more, which is you make it real. You apply those lessons again and again and again. You never, ever stop working to get better. And that's what I'm proud of is uh, Kansas City Star Magazine. When I turned 34 in 1990, uh, I was the first athlete on their cover. And I said, Nick Lowry is one of the greatest kickers in NFL history. But at 34, is time running out? Well, mm -hmm. I led the NFL in scoring that year. I had 24 field goals in a row. I had 21 field goals the next year in a row. I don't, I don't know how many kickers have done that in consecutive years. And then I was 22 for 24, even though we had not the best offense, um, you know, made the pro bowl every year or, or all pro every year. And uh, at the age when I was supposed to be getting older, I was getting better. So those lessons are always applicable. We can always get better. We can get wiser. We can get more efficient. Your incredible podcast will always get better because you're determined to do that. So that's where focus and passion, doing the things you love with the people you love and respect. That's that's the money pot. Hey, listen, Nick, I got to say something. That is probably one of the most in-depth answers I've had. And you hit the nail on the head earlier. Part of being a, a show host is you get to glean the wisdom of others. It's almost like an ongoing everyday course, uh, personal professional course of development. And you've given me so many incredible things to think about that I'm going to continue to not only implement, but share because it's been it's been absolutely a goldmine. We're going to cut to break. But when we come back, I want to learn more about I want our listeners to learn more about the uh, your humanitarian efforts. Thank right. You. The, By the uh, way, the, that's the third level. The third level of success is making it. Number two, sustaining it. Number three, help other people. That's See right. That they can do it too. And God's made right. all of us unique with our unique definition of contribution and success and joy, not just happiness. So when we come back after the break, let's pick up on that. We'll have a few minutes to when we come back. But Champions for the Homeless, 17 years ago, you started that is running strong uh, today still. You've got all sorts of events that you host uh, on an annual basis. And then I just want you to take a second. You were an aide to three presidents, Reagan. H.W. Bush and Clinton. Let's learn what you were helping them with a little bit about that, because most people don't know that story of Nick Lowry's life. We'll do that after the break. Hey, everyone, this is Jay Mamie, excited to announce that my 10th book, 10 Toxic Traits That Keep You Broke, Busted and Disgusted, will be available for purchase on August 25th on Amazon. The rave reviews that the book has received from incredible people from around the world will be a great resource for you to examine those traits that continue to derail and to detour your success. It is a must read, as many are saying. 10 toxic traits that keep you broke busted and disgusted pick up a copy august 25th on amazon and find out what the buzz is all about welcome back 
to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Wrapping up the fantastic show with the one and only Nick Lowry here. But we're going to pivot a little bit from sports and the lessons that he's learned and those watershed moments that, that he's now teaching others to implement in their lives to the humanitarian aspect of who Nick is. 17 years ago, he started the Champions for the Homeless. 17 years later, is stronger than ever. Cooperation and collaboration from all sorts of other celebrities and, and uh, sports figures from around the world. Nick, share a little bit about that. Is that still what inspires you today? What's the mission behind that? And we'll get into the presidential conversation afterwards. Well, actually, you know, um, serving as a... Uh, a Senate aide, which is what I did before I made it. And then I, I continued to work as a Senate aide for Senator Tom Eagleton. And then for the chairman of the House Rules Committee back then, um, Dick Bolding and then Elizabeth Dole. I kept doing those things. And, um, and that was service. So they're very connected. The idea that I have something to contribute. By the way, I couldn't fight in World War II like my dad did or the Vietnam War. I was a little too young for that. Um, but I, my parents both were um, seminal uh, did seminal things in World War II. My uncle actually was the uh, assistant to Lord Tedder, who was number two under Dwight Eisenhower in the war in Europe. So I, wow. I, that's kind of in my DNA. But just show you right back here, right there, that is Ronald Reagan. And that's me with a really bad haircut and <laughs> what I call my porn star mustache. And I saw that, yeah. <laughs> uh, DC uh, Chief of Police, Maurice Turner, that's Clay Shaw, Congressman. And uh, I know Ed Meese, the attorney general, was right there. Right there that was is, National yeah. Crime Prevention Week. And that was being recognized uh, with the chief's organization for their crime card program. And then back there, that's a guy named Bill Clinton. And I worked in uh, the 93 Office of National Service for Clinton on AmeriCorps four years earlier for H.W. Um, Bush on the Points of Light Foundation. Both of those were about how do we get the next generation? This goes back to that, that loop of, of accountability, learning responsibility, what a beautiful thing it is to, to own a responsibility to give back, to make a difference. And so that's, that's in my blood. So that leads to all the programs. Lee Steinberg, who's Patrick Mahomes' agent, was my agent and I started, uh, I, I've got to mention this, I, I started Kick With Nick for Cerebral Palsy. It was the longest running program in the history of the NFL when I played and we raised a million dollars for Cerebral Palsy, but we educated people on the rights of the disabled. And um, I started to think we're all disabled a little bit. God's given us this unique challenge to find our blind spots and keep growing into real spiritual power and focus and uh, then I started a program called um, Adult Role Models for Youth, which became Youth Friends, ended up working with probably 85% African-American or minority population, so-called, I hate this phrase, at-risk youth in um, Kansas City. And then in 1990, and I started that with the mayor of Kansas City and all the sports teams so that the, the athletes would get involved. So these are all uh, skill sets in organizing, getting people on the same page, we work with 38 youth serving agencies and seeing again and again how much these kids, whether they're black, white, red, yellow, brown, wherever they come from, love, consistency, um, compassion, support, encouragement, 
everybody needs that. We need that. When I'm 85, I'll need that too. And hopefully we do that a little bit for ourselves. That led to um, Native Vision, which was a sports and life skills camp, which I started, got the NFL Players Association involved with Johns Hopkins. It's now in its 27th year. Wow. It was on Oprah in 1997 as the best new program for Native youth. And then when I went to Harvard four years later, I was really fascinated by how we could build what Harvard calls social capital. How do we rebuild mm. in poor communities? I mean, I'm just going to call a spade. I call it what it is. I mean, whether mm-hmm. it's Chicago with all the violence, black on black crime, mm-hmm. the ghettos there or Baltimore or L.A., wherever it is where there are communities where people feel like there's no hope. How do we rebuild uh, what I call uh, social capital? And so that's been a leadership program for Native youth for 20 years called Nation Building for Native Youth. Anybody that wants to Google Nick Lauer Youth Foundation 2017 video on YouTube, it is an, it's a clinic on how we do it, but it's experiential learning. It's giving hope. So that finally connects to, I just felt this, very powerful pull when I was asked to support St. Vincent de Paul 17, 18 years ago. And I felt like, man, I've got to do something. All these people here, we started it as a, uh, uh, you know, something on Thanksgiving, Christmas and Easter. And we're now in our 64th event this Saturday, but we've served over 100,000 homeless. We provide 1,000 pairs of socks, 1,000 pairs of underwear, 1,000 t-shirts, we have that we'll have 10 hair cutters on Saturday. We'll have two chiropractors. We give away a thousand flowers. We give away close to a thousand five dollar gift certificates to McDonald's and uh, Starbucks. We're actually picking up 400 Starbucks cards today uh, for that. Uh, although the, our homeless brothers and sisters like uh, McDonald's more because it's probably cheaper. But uh, but it's a, it's kind of a spoiled thing for them to go to Starbucks. And then we have incredible music, of course, food, ice cream, popcorn, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, the Bidwell family come. Um, you know, we've had a lot of famous athletes, my NFL brothers, Jim McMahon, my buddy, Michael Bankston, who played 10 years in the league, uh, David Craig, 18, 19 years in the league quarterback. I mean, all these guys come. And what I've noticed is starting with Thanksgiving, Christmas and Easter, Jay, is when you go home and you started your day. It was supposed to be about Christ's birth or supposed to be about honoring and giving gratitude and thanksgiving. And you go home after three hours, three and a half hours and two hours directly serving the homeless people that have nothing. Mm-hmm. And you've given them respect and love and you've given them some material things, too, and food but it's more the respect you've given them. Oprah calls it, I see you, I hear you, I embrace you, I'm there for you. That is so powerful. And you go home going, this is what Thanksgiving always should have been and always should be. This is what Christmas should be. This is what Easter should be. So now we do something called Christmas in June, Christmas in July, Mm. Christmas in August. This will be Christmas in August. And um, we did it during COVID. We We made Phoenix the first city in the country to provide free COVID testing. For uh, the homeless, it was on Fox News with my friend, former Fox anchor in Kansas City, Harris Faulkner, and mm-hmm. uh, we, uh, you know, we just kept going. I to see the faces. We went from 500 volunteers to 15. We were only allowed 15 plus our band outside. We had packaged. Everybody's wearing gloves and masks. 
we're waiting there handing out clothing and, and I'll never forget the look on the faces of the homeless brothers and sisters coming through going, what are you, you're still here? <laughs> what are you still, I'm like, this is when you need us most. I mean, my favorite biblical quote is Proverbs 17, 17, which is essentially a brother is truly a brother in times of need. You know, mm -hmm. that's who you know is your friend when you've got nothing, you've got no reason. Get emotional. You got no reason to do something for somebody. You just do it because they need you and vice versa. That's where the juice of, of life is. So, man, I get fueled up by this and uh, I can I can honor Muhammad Ali who happened. I mean, think about the the incredible role models I've had. I had Chief Justice, uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Byron White, who led the NFL in rushing, won the award name for him. That's got to be a God thing. I don't know how that happened. And then mm -hmm. Muhammad Ali moved in 15 years ago, two doors down from me. And I ended up driving him to movie premieres and to the NBA All-Star game. And mm -hmm. I wrote, if you want to see, I wrote about this actually on LinkedIn just uh, and Facebook, et cetera, uh, just a few days ago. Um, and Muhammad Ali, who is he? Well, let's say the most known for being, I, most people would say the greatest boxer, but I think one of the greatest human beings. Absolutely. Who really was a force for uniting Muslim and Christian and Jew. By the end of his career, he was all about love. So uh, so now this program, we, uh, Mohammed and his friend, uh, uh, Yank Berry started Global Village Champions. They came for three years and Evander Holyfield came uh, because Mohammed couldn't make it. He had Parkinson's and um, we fed all the homeless in Phoenix for a week, the beginning of each new year for three years, just to say we can make mm. a difference. And wow. so these are the blessings from this. Now we've added summer because it's ridiculously hot here. We just mm -hmm. set up a record of 20, uh, 31 consecutive days over 110, no days under 90 degrees. And it's even hotter in the concrete downtown. Uh, but but that's when you use your success and feel much more balanced and renewed and rejuvenated and redeemed in what the success was for, which was to help mm -hmm. others. That's find, exactly right. That's what exactly does our right. father want for us, but to find the Jesus in ourselves so that we know what real joy and happiness is, what real living is. And um, so, I mean, I've seen so many good things in people. I've seen people with nothing who have so much grace and so much joy, and they know no one can take it from them because everything else has been taken and they mm -hmm. still have it. So we do that six times a year. We've done it. We did it first three times a year on Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. Then we added once in the summer because there's a big break between mid-April and late November. Now we've done it two times a year, and now we're again, our goal is to do it three times a summer as well. Um, so it's, and it, where, it's teaching it, a language of, of compassion in this community that has humanized the homeless in a way that does not exist in Los Angeles, does not exist in San Francisco, et cetera. Sorry to keep. No, that's okay, Nick. And I are not last uh, few seconds here. Where could people go to get involved with Champions for the Homeless? I know, obviously, as a nonprofit, there's always a need for donations. Yep, it's a 501c3. You go to nicklowry.com or nicklowry.org, N I C K L O W E R Y, and there's a donate page there. If you give over $300, you get a beautiful necklace. 
uh, it's a chief's necklace. If you ask, we probably could have it your own team. Uh, <laughs> and it might have to be 325 for that. I was going to say a little bit more uh, than 300, yeah. Um, but all that money goes to purchasing clothing and what we do to put these on. And I would, I would be so honored if you would consider that. Um, it goes through PayPal and comes to us. And it's a 501c3. You can write off your donation. Um, not that that's the reason you do it, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I encourage all of you to think about what you can do in your own communities. But if Absolutely. you can help us, we'd be grateful. Nick, we're going to put up the information at our show site. We get tons of people at our show site. That way you can bring more uh, more awareness to the organization. Uh, I plan on being there. I had a chance to chat with my wife already. So I plan on being there for uh, November for Thanksgiving. You mentioned awesome. that. Uh, so we'll get a chance to connect there and then. But uh, before then, you and I are going to chat some more, brother. But right. right now, I appreciate you being on a program. We've got a lot that we've covered, a lot more to cover in the future. So yep. make sure you keep yourself available for the next time that I'll ask you to be on the show. Thanks for having me on, brother. You know, you listened a lot. I talked a lot. I hope most of it was helpful. And it really I just for everybody a sense that they're here for a reason. And that reason is beautiful. And keep going until you know it. You don't just think it. You don't hope it. You know it. You know you're here for a special reason with your unique gifts. Thank you, brother. Well, folks, that wraps up another fantastic episode of the J. Mamie Talk Show. Incredible content for you to implement, take action upon, and thrive. Until next Monday, keep thriving.